What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Thank you for making me part of your week. With all the talk surrounding the Kachuk and Cassian incident, I decided to give my thoughts and feelings about what happened in the first segment. In the second segment, I'm going to talk about the previous two games for the UB Bulls men's basketball team, so stick around and let's have some fun. Before we start this podcast, I want to take a quick time out to say thank you to everyone who has listened to me and continues to listen to me on a weekly basis. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, I want you to share it with your friends, your family, your coworkers, or anybody you know that enjoys sports talk about Buffalo. Let them know that they can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, on Anchor. If you want to contact me at all, you can get at me at my email, which is sportstalkbuffalo at yahoo.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at sportstalkbuff1. That's sportstalkbuff1 on Twitter to find out the latest news and notes from the show and also my opinions on a lot of the things that are going on in and around sports in general. Again, thank you all for listening. So let's keep this podcast growing and keep the ball rolling. So if you're ready, let's jump right into it. All right, let's jump right into things here in segment number one and talk about what happened between Kachuk and Cassian in the last game of the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers. In this game, Kachuk If you don't know, he plays a very physical brand of hockey. He is an agitator, but he will drop the gloves from time to time. I have seen him do it. He picks his spots, and he's smart about uh, picking his spots of when he wants to fight and drop the gloves. Uh, He normally, like I said, plays a very, very heavy game, but he's not just a guy who goes out there, runs around, and agitates. He is also a very skilled player. His high in points was this past year, 77 points, uh, in one, in like 80 games, I think, something like that. He is a very talented player, but he's big, he's physical, he's strong. He checks all the boxes of what you want an NHL player to be. Zach Cassian, he is a guy who is having one of his better seasons. He's not a first-line guy, but he has been playing with Connor McDavid on that first line, and he is producing, and he's producing at a rate that he hasn't produced so far in his career. He already has 13 goals this season, and if he continues on this path, he will be uh, in line for one of his better seasons of his career. Now, in this game, Cassian also plays a very physical brand of hockey. He will fight, and he can fight very, very well. In this game, Cassian comes from behind the net on the first hit. He comes from behind the net, tries to jam it in. Kachuk sees Cassian in a vulnerable position and just absolutely buries Zach Cassian and a good hit, a hard hit, a clean hit in my opinion. A lot of people don't think it's a clean hit, but if you go on my Twitter, you look at the still shots of both hits. He doesn't come anywhere near the head and neck area of Zach Cassian on either of the hits. So Zach Cassian lets that hit go. Okay, he takes a number. Fine. He comes in the next Uh, In the second period, he gets the puck behind the net. You can actually, if you listen to it, 
hear Connor McDavid screaming, heads, 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 to try to let Cassian know that Kachuk is coming. He sees him at the very last second, but it's not enough. And Kachuk absolutely buries uh, Cassian again. This time, Cassian is not very pleased with the hit. He thinks he, he was done wrong by Kachuk. I don't think he was done wrong, but, you know, big hit. You know, you don't want to be embarrassed like that in front of everyone. He stands up, looks for Kachuk, grabs Kachuk, gives him a chance to turn around and answer the bell. Kachuk tries to skate away, and then Cassian just goes absolutely ham on him and starts raining blows on Keith, or Keith Kachuk. That shows you how old I am on Matthew Kachuk and starts just absolutely destroying him, ragdolling him all over the place. And at no point does Kachuk's gloves ever come off. He turtles. And that, in my opinion, is the problem. He turtles. If he wants to play a heavy game, he has to answer the bell against guys that are going to be tougher, especially if you start knocking these guys around. Kachuk is a big body, don't get me wrong. He is probably about the size of Cassian, but I don't think he as he is as good a fighter as Zach Cassian. But Kachuk is also more talented than Zach Cassian as far as uh, offensive production goes. But in the same sense, you have two guys who are about the same size, play the same kind of game. Kachuk buries Cassian a couple times. Cassian doesn't like it and then goes after him. Hey, that's NHL, man. That's NHL. I don't think there was anything wrong with the hits. I don't think there was anything wrong with what Zach Cassian did either. Now, my question is, why has this sequence of events garnered so much attention from the media and from people on Twitter? One, it's because Twitter is an absolute disease. Uh, I'm I'm convinced that Twitter is an absolute disease. The more time I spend on it, the more it makes me really hate the direction of all sports and the opinions of a lot of people uh, on Twitter in and of itself. But anyway, everyone is talking about what happened. There's a lot of people that are defending Zach Cassian, and you know what? I'm one of those people. Now, I'm also defending Matthew Kachuk and his hits. I don't think there was anything wrong with either of those hits, but Cassian... Uh, felt that he was wronged, and he did what you're supposed to do in the NHL if you feel like you've been wronged. You give the guy a chance to answer the bell. If he doesn't answer the bell, you pound him into the ice. That is what hockey is. That is what hockey has been, and that is what hockey should continue to be until there is no more NHL at all ever. That is what the NHL has been for over a 100 years why are we why are people trying to change it? You got people online talking about that it that Cassian committed felony assault on on uh Matthew Kachuk. Those people are an absolute joke and those people should never be allowed to watch the NHL. Those are the fans that we don't want. Go away. Go away forever and never watch a single game of NHL ever again and the league will be better off for it. Now as I said, people keep saying that Cassian jumps Kachuk. If you watch it, he comes from behind on Matthew Kachuk. He says something to Kachuk about dropping the gloves. Kachuk tries to skate away and weasel his way out of there. And at that point, uh, Cassian is incensed and he starts to beat down Matthew Kachuk. 
which is exactly what he should do. Like I said, there's a ton of people who hate what uh, Matthew Kachuk did. I don't hate what he did in terms of the hits. I hate what he did in terms of not answering the bell. He didn't respect the code in the NHL, and that to me is gutless. Uh, A lot of people are mad about what Zach Cassian did. I am not mad about what Zach Cassian did. I think he did what he should have done and what should con- what he should continue to do his entire career, which is why he's been in the NHL so long, which is why he is uh, an effective player in the NHL. He is big, he is strong, he is tough, and if he f- if you feel he feels like you wronged him, he is going to beat you up about it. People are so angry about this, but these are the people that are ruining hockey, mind you. These are the people that got the NHL, all these guys to have have rules in it, such as guys coming into the NHL now must wear visors. Okay, well and fine. If you want these guys to wear visors to protect them against, you know, slap shots and, and high sticks and things like that, fine. Okay, uh, I can get on board with that. But what I can't get on board is with is the fact that now you have guys who wear visors and these guys want to drop the gloves and you won't let them take their helmets off and fight each other. These are grown men. Let them, you know, and let them take their helmets off. These guys don't want to break their hands on someone's hard piece of plastic. These guys want to drop the gloves, take their helmets off like men, make it a nice, fair, even fight, and let them do their thing on the ice. It's been like this in the NHL for a hundred plus years. A hundred plus years. Why are we tinkering with what has kept the league going for this long? Another one of the rules that I hate. I absolutely hate now is the fact that if your helmet comes off during the course of play, you have to go to the bench immediately or you risk getting a penalty for delay of game. That is another stupid rule in the NHL. I absolutely hate it and I think it's ridiculous that you don't let these grown men play a game that they have been playing their entire lives the exact same way. The last rule that I absolutely hate and I've hated it for a very long time because now we're getting in. Now we're seeing why this rule is stupid. Zach Cass. Now, if let's say Kachuk blasts Connor McDavid the same way he hits Zach Cassian, and Cassian comes over and just wants to wants a piece of Kachuk, and Kachuk tries to skate away and weasel away. You can't have anybody. Now, I've said this about Jack Eichel, I'll say it about Connor McDavid, I'll say it about Sidney Crosby and whoever, all the other big-time stars in the NHL. You, as a team, cannot let anybody, clean or dirty, hit your star player that hard ever. You can't let them do it. If If you let them do it, they will continue to do it, and they will break your star player. You have to stick up for your star player, and you have to go and pound that guy into the ice. A rule that prevents somebody from doing that is the instigator rule. I think they should 100% get rid of the instigator rule, especially because now fighting is at an all-time low, which I cannot stand. If you've ever listened to me or follow me at all on Twitter, you know that I cannot stand the state of what the NHL right now. If you get rid of the instigator rule, that play never happens. Cassian addresses the situation on the ice. Both players move on, and that's the end of it. That is the absolute end of it. There is no more retribution that needs to be done. There is no more, you know, 
big time. I mean, it, it creates hate. Don't get me wrong. And it creates a lot of intensity in any game that these guys play against each other. But there's no need for any more dirty play. There's no need to stick the guy. There's no need to punch the guy. There's no, you know, there's no need for that anymore. The guys can move on. And if they want to drop the gloves later, hey, let them drop the gloves later. Okay. But it creates intensity, creates rivalries. And I think that the NHL is really, really going in a very, very uh, bad direction with all of these uh, different rules to, quote, keep the players safe. Anyway, the moral of the story is I don't think Kachuk did anything wrong, but if he wants to play a heavy game the way he likes to play, he has to be willing to answer the bell. It is very gutless on his part to not answer the bell after blasting uh, Zach Cassian multiple times in the same game. And I, like I said, I think it's an absolute uh, gutless move on his part. And I don't think he's a gutless guy. I just think it was a very, uh, I think it was a very bad move on his part. Now, if you want to talk a guy into dropping the gloves and then you don't drop the gloves or, or, or you know, whatever off a of face-off and the guy starts punching you anyway, fine. Okay, you did your job as a rat and, you know, you got your team uh, two-minute power play and, and call it a day. Matthew Barnaby is the Hall of Fame, is in the Hall of Fame of rats in all-time hockey history. I have the pleasure of watching him play in Buffalo, was one of my favorite players growing up, loved the way he played. He could play the game if you go back and look at his stats. He could produce offensively. He was a uh, a solid third-line guy, and he was a rat. He would get under your skin, make you take penalties against him, make you elbow him, make you throw him on the ice and things like that. But if he thought he needed to answer the bell, he was never, 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 never afraid to answer the bell. He fought guys like Zidane Chara, who everyone thinks is a monster, but he has nine inches. Uh, Chara has nine inches on Matthew Barnaby, and he still dropped the gloves with him. He, uh, Matt Barnaby dropped the gloves with Peter Worrell. That guy is a monster. He's 6'6", 250 pounds, and Matt Barnaby comes in at about six feet, 190 pounds. This guy was afraid of nobody, and if you want to play that kind of game, you have to be willing to drop the gloves and fight when the time comes. But as far as that goes, that's all I got for this segment. Stick around for the next segment where I'm going to talk about the last two games for the UB Bulls men's basketball team. All right, let's jump right into segment number two and start talking about the UB Bulls men's basketball team. We're going to start by talking about the UB versus Ball State coming into this game. Uh... It was said that UB had the hardest or most difficult non-conference schedule in the Mid-American Conference, and Ball State had the second most difficult uh, non-conference schedule in the Mid-American Conference, and it it did not go the Bulls' way. Coming into this game, the Bulls uh, were nine and four, and Ball State was eight and five. Both teams playing one conference game coming into this game or at least the UB Bulls played one conference game coming into this game uh, that which they had lost UB was looking to get back on track uh, against Ball State they had just lost against NIU in their first conference game and they wanted to get their first win uh, in conference play in this season in this game though I want to say I unfortunately couldn't watch the entire game I had to work that night, and it is probably a good thing that I was not able to watch the entire game. I watched as much as I possibly could, and it was awful. It was a bad game for UB. 
Their defense just got absolutely shellacked in this game, and they lost 88-68. UB held just one lead during the entire game, and that was a 16-15 lead in the first half. The UB defense could not stop Tajay Teague and the Ball State offense. In this game, Ball State shot 47.9% field goals, which means that they were getting incredibly easy looks. They were beating UB to the basket and creating uh, offense in which UB just could not stop. They had no answer for it. Tajay Teague ended with 25 points in this one. No matter who they put on him, he was just unstoppable, and he led this team to a blowout victory over the UB Bulls and the reigning MAC champions. The uh, Ball State also shot the lights out from three-point uh, range. They shot 37%. Uh, UB really, really struggles when any team shoots the ball over 45% from the from the field. They are a a very, very poor defensive team this year, and I don't know. I don't know what the problem is. Is the defense just not good enough? Is the coaching not good enough? Are the, you know, is the defensive scheme not working with the players that they have? I'm just not sure. In this game, the Bulls only shot 45.5% from the field and were just a putrid 13 or 3 of 18 from the three point, uh, from behind the arc with averaging just, uh, not averaging, Having just a 16.7% three-point percentage, it was an absolutely dreadful, dreadful game for the UB Bulls to be a part of. Like I said, Tajay Teague had his way with the Bulls in this one, and it was a very, very tough loss. And it was a very tough loss because that means the Bulls opened their conference play at 0-2 and and put them near near or at the bottom of of the Mid-American Conference standings. Now, they looked to bounce back in the last game against Miami of Ohio, and I gotta tell ya, it was a big road win for the UB Bulls. It was a great response after getting blown out in the last game, and they ended up winning this game 83-78. to UB held the lead in this game for the final 15 minutes and 21 seconds, after retaking the lead on a Jonathan Williams dunk. In this game, UB, UB's defense in the first half struggled mightily. They allowed 43 points to Miami of Ohio to go in at the half. They were down at the half. Again, the Bulls really have to learn to come out strong and be able to sustain that all game long if they want to continue to have success in the MAC conference but in the second half they came out their defensive tenacity was very very evident and if they play like that they're going to be a very tough team to deal with they're uh they held Miami to 42.2 percent field goal percentage for the game they shot uh, Miami of Ohio shot 31.8 percent from the three-point line and any time the Bulls hold the team under 45 percent shooting from the field, they are undefeated. That goes to show you that even when they allow a, a fairly high amount of 
field goal percentage that they still have the firepower enough to be able to beat these teams. 45 is a pretty high number, and UB is undefeated any time they hold up an opponent under 45% for the entire game. Buffalo also, it, it helped that Buffalo also shot 46.9% from the field and 44.4% from the three-point line. My goodness, they shot the absolute lights out in this game. And it is a good thing they did because they pulled out a close road win uh, against a tough Miami of Ohio team. Uh, something the Bulls really, 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 really need to work on is their free throws. Defense is an incredibly important part of the game. Don't get me wrong. I think that's probably the number one priority for this team is to work on their defensive consistency and the ball pressure that they get because when they get a lot of ball pressure, they are able to turn teams get teams to turn it over and they get in transition. The Bulls had over 20 points in transition in this game alone and they were very, very dynamite in getting turnovers against Miami of Ohio and turning those into fast break points. Now, like I was saying, the Bulls shot just 62.5% from the free throw line. That is putrid. That is absolutely putrid. And in close games, these points are critical to you be either winning or losing games. Now, is it fair for me to really judge after five players left and all five players that left UB last year are now playing professional basketball, whether it's here in the United States with CJ Massenberg playing in the G League or if it's the other four guys playing overseas professional basketball, all five of these guys are playing professional basketball. So that shows you the amount of depth that the Bulls had lost in this season. My takeaways from this game is Brock Bertram provided a very, very solid game for the Bulls. He had four points and six rebounds in just 10 minutes, and he was very, very good defensively. He's very defensively sound. When he's out there, he can battle the other team's bigs a little bit more effectively than uh, Josh Mbala can. He also gives Mbala, when they're out there together, the freedom to roam around a little bit and be able to block shots and use his athleticism. Also, Antoine Johnson really, really struggled in this game. And I, in my opinion, I think he should sit in favor of Ronaldo Segu, who was, again, very, very good for the Bulls. He created a spark for the UB offense. He had 16 points, 6 assists, and was very, very, very clutch. He is their absolute best free throw shooter. I believe he's shooting in the high 80% or low 90%. For his free throw percentage, he is absolutely clutch at the end of games, and he is the one who helped the Bulls close this game out, shooting five of six free throws at the end of the game, making five of six free throws at the end of the game, like I said, helping them be able to close this out. Josh Mbala, who is just a sophomore, by the way, he transferred to UB, uh, and he has played a very, very key role in UB getting 10 wins 
so far this year. He gets another double-double in this game, 12 points, 13 rebounds. He is an absolute machine when it comes to rebounds, especially on the offensive end. He is one of the better offensive rebounders in the entire nation, and look out for him. If he stays at UB, he will be a key part in the next few years for UB to be able to maintain it's very high quality basketball that it that we have grown accustomed to over these last six to seven years. Javon Graves also had a great bounce back game. He really, really struggled against Ball State. And in this game, Javon Graves was 9 of 16 from the uh, field goals and was 3 of 4 from behind the arc. And he resulted in 25 points overall for Javon Graves. He is a very, very solid player. And when he goes, the Buffalo offense goes. And of course, that's what's going to happen. He, him, and Mbala and uh, Ronaldo Sugu, in my opinion, are going to be the guys that they're going to have to lean upon in order for the UB offense to get going. And I don't mean Ronaldo Sugu has to score a lot of points. He doesn't have to score a lot of points. We're starting to see him facilitate the ball a little bit more. If you watch this game, he has had some really, really nice passes. He's hitting the trailer on the fast break, leading to very easy points, dunks, or layups. And it is a very, very fun thing to watch. You're, you're watching him grow and get more comfortable in the Division One level as we keep going and going and going, and it is just absolutely awesome to watch uh, him grow and become a better player. Jonathan Williams got into double figures for the sixth or seventh game in a row. He has really started to step his game up. Him, He is another player that, if uh, UB wants to be successful, has to be able to fill the net and be very tenacious on the defense. Sometimes he gets beat uh, on the defensive end, and he really has to clean that up for UB to be able to maintain success. Overall, if UB wants to have a chance to be a contender in a very, very difficult Mid-American Conference East division, the defensive intensity must remain high through every single minute of league play. They cannot take a half off. They cannot take a game off. They will get beat. If this team does not show the intensity defensively that they showed in the second half against Miami, Ohio, Miami of Ohio, they will get beat like they did against Ball State and they will get beat bad. So that's my takeaway from the UB Bulls uh, in the past two games. I, uh, the next game coming up is against Ohio, who is also one and two in the Mid-American Conference and nine and seven overall. The Bulls have them at home and they open up as a seven point favorite in this game, but we have seen this story before. So like I said, if they do not come out with the defensive intensity that they need to, UB will get beat for the fourth time in, uh, this season at home. So let's hope they can continue on their winning ways and come out with that defensive intensity and really ramp it up and give their home fans a treat. But that's going to do it for this episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. I want to thank you guys for listening and joining me for another week. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Sports Talk Buff 1. You can also 
Email me at sportstalkbuffalo at yahoo.com. You can also leave a voice message on anchor.fm slash drew939, and you could have a chance to be put into an episode with a question and or a comment from any of this show, the next show, or any of the future shows, if you feel so inclined to do that. Once again, thank you for listening. Have a good week.